0: Hi, my name is Cynthia Mosser. This is Art Chat Northwest, and I'm here with artisan painter Gabe Fernandez. Gabe is originally from Sweet Home, Oregon, and has lived in the Northwest Portland area for 22 years. He has an upcoming show at the Russo Lee Gallery and also at Linda Hodges Gallery in Seattle. We'll talk about those at the end of the interview. So, Gabe, welcome.
1: Hi, Cynthia. It's really good to see you again.
0: So Gabe, tell me a little bit about your background and your education, where you're from.
1: Okay. Um, I'm from Sweden, Oregon, as you mentioned, and I grew up in a, that's a real small uh, logging town in the middle of the Cascades. And I got involved in art in eighth grade, really seriously, when I got very sick one year, and I'd never been sick before I'd missed any school. And I was actually out of school for a week, and I didn't have anything to do except draw. And so I started copying Benetton ads out of magazines, the the children's faces, and they really fascinated me. And it kind of took off from there. And then when I um, kept doing those for a couple of years, I got into the local newspaper uh, in this feature called Artist of the Week, and it would feature a high school student. I got my picture in there. And a retired artist from San Francisco had been living in Sweden for a few years, and he actually tracked me down, called my parents up, and asked if I would be interested in doing odd jobs in exchange for um, a little bit of art education. So I went and checked out his house and I was really fascinated by his work and and he was an airbrush artist and illustrator. And so I did that through my last part of high school. I just learned how to do painting and art. Uh, From there I moved to Eugene and I took a few classes at the local community college at Lane. And uh, that's where I uh, figured I wanted to get a little more serious about an illustration career. So I went and checked out uh, PNCA. They were doing an open uh, studio kind of uh, portfolio review. And they had a bunch of different schools there. And I really loved some of the schools from Southern California, Cornish, and Seattle. But I really connected very much with PNCA because of the size and the proximity to um, my hometown. And uh, a lot of those other things, uh, and I could pursue an illustration degree there. So I did, and that's where it all kind of took off. So your
0: illustration career. Now, illustration is something that you did in school.
1: Did you continue on with that? No, not at all. And I'll tell you why. Um, We were very fortunate through the illustration program that uh, our instructors would bring in real illustrators because they were real illustrators, of course, like gold medal winners and silver medalists in in the illustration annuals. And they would bring them in to speak and all of them had the same thing in common. Um, They didn't want to be illustrators. And it was really weird. Like, and even it seemed like most of the illustration faculty didn't want to be illustrators. It was a very competitive cutthroat business. Um, the illustrators looked like they hadn't slept in days, they had bags in their eyes, they looked like they were working too hard. And they all wanted to do the same thing, which was get out of illustration and illustrate storybooks on their own terms or be fine artists. And that really hit me. Uh, it made a huge impression because um, I just didn't think uh, I could hack that competition for one. Number two, I really didn't have a lot of belief in my talent to be as versatile as what an illustrator had to be at the time. And three, I I could see the writing on the wall. The computer was dramatically changing the industry, which was good that I did that because I don't think any of those illustrators are illustrators anymore. Um, They've done exactly what they wanted to do. They went into fine art in some form. Um, But a couple of them got pushed right out of the business because of the the, um, technology changes. So um, it was there I changed to a painting major. And so uh, from there... Fine art and painting on my own terms for the sake of painting became what drove me as an artist.
0: What kind of painting were you doing at PNCA?
1: I was doing a lot of figurative work. Uh, that's sort of what you do as an uh, art student, I think, is natural. You take a lot of figure drawing classes, and that translated over to oil painting and acrylic painting. I did a lot of still lifes. Uh, we did a lot of abstract work, too. I mean, we went the whole gamut. As an, as an art student, you just do it all. You try it all, and you see what you want to do because you start... Idolizing, you know, certain artists that are, you know, um, fascinate you as an art history student. You, you know, I think I was really interested in in uh, Rothko at the time. I was very interested in, and in, um, like Michelangelo and Rembrandt too at the same time. So I was trying everything, um, seeing what what would work for me. Um, but I'd say what dominated my focus mostly was figurative work. Uh, It was really, uh, so I took a lot of uh, anatomy classes, uh, a lot of figure drawing classes, anything I could do that was related to the figure. And that was really my idea. And that was partly too, because of my illustration um, background, I started doing that as a freshman and sophomore, um, because I thought that was very important if I was gonna be a uh, editorial illustrator that I'd be able to draw well um, human figures.
0: So fast forward to now, now you draw paintings that incorporate chairs, for example, and also exterior architecture that has this kind of a mid-century modern appearance. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yeah, as a young child, um, as far back as I can remember, um, I've always had a fascination with the personification of letters and numbers, and I don't know why. It's like when I was learning the alphabet, when I was learning how to count, when I was learning how to add. um, I gave human characteristics to every number, to every letter, and I don't know why. It was just something that I always have done, and it's always stuck with me. Um, Like, for instance, I always thought the letter A was a girl, uh, B was a girl, C was a boy. I gave gender identifications to all of them. I don't know why. That was just, maybe that's something that just comes naturally to us, or maybe it doesn't. But I did. It was way beyond just being like a gender. It was, these guys had little personalities, and they had, uh, and so what ended up evolving out of that is I, when you do, when you give things human characteristics and human um, traits, I think you begin to have a little empathy for them. And so that has evolved into my work because if you look at my work and my, my affinity for objects, uh, it is really having empathy for them. And it is having that human personification identification with these because they are, to me, just figurative pieces uh, in some form. That's why most of what I do is void of human figures because I think that sort of uh, would convolute the whole idea and change everything. So that's really where it comes from, I think. I believe it does. It just, I kind of think about it a lot because I do have the same exact feelings for these objects as I think I, I remember having as a young child. So it's 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 sort of fascinating to me to kind of look back and see, how did I get here?
0: And then what about the mid-century modern aspect? How did you start painting in that style?
1: I think that was natural because um, I started painting chairs back in two thousand, nineteen ninety nine. When I was working at a homeless shelter, and uh, it was such a busy, loud environment, it was really chaotic. And what would happen at ten o'clock, all these voices and all this chatter would go to bed, and they would be dead silent within five minutes. It's a really weird thing. It was, and all of a sudden, you'd be sitting there alone in the dark. And, and I remember there was a safety light on over in the corner. And it had an old donated office chair, and it was just sitting there with a shadow casted on it, almost like it was on a stage at a theater. But I kept thinking about that chair and about all of the stories that chair could tell. It looked like it was about 20 years old and it could tell you all kinds of things about where it's been and, and who it's seen and, and how it feels. And, and that was a that was a, just a regular old mid-century office chair. So as I continued to seek out chairs to paint, the mid-century aesthetic called out to me so loudly because I really believed that, to me anyway, Mid-century is really figurative work. I mean, we really get into that form versus function argument, and they really start pushing the form, and, and the form takes on, you know, it's just natural that a chair would take on a human form. And so you can start viewing different chairs and different designs in general, and different designs of vehicles, too, for that matter, and architecture, for that matter, in human-like terms. And once again, you begin to have empathy for them. And when you begin to have empathy for them, then you begin to really take a lot of pride in depicting them just as much as you would with a a figurative painting.
0: Now the light source within your paintings is very strong. So can you tell me about the lighting aspect?
1: Uh, I think that really comes from uh, a theatrical scenario where you really want to create as much drama as you can to give a sense of implied narrative to your pieces. And the, the lighting is something that's always fascinated me because your perceptions of objects or even humans um, can dramatically change just based on lighting alone. And I think that's something I like to explore quite a bit. So I generally have one light source. It can be stark sometimes, because what I, so it depends on what I'm conveying, of course. But um, it can really uh, dramatically set a tone for how you um, want to express a concept in a painting.
0: And when you start a painting, what is your process?
1: For 20 years, ever since I've really been painting seriously, uh, I have taken a lot of photographs, and I've literally taken thousands and thousands of photographs. And uh, over the years, I, what I've learned to do is I, I lay them out on tables, and they sit out there for weeks. Well, they sit out there probably much constantly, and I revisit them. And when something intuitively hits me, and it gives me the feeling that I'm looking for, I try to latch onto that feeling, and I try to lock it in, so to speak. And then I go from there, and I, and I make a lot of thumbnail sketches to really lock in that concept and that feeling that I'm trying to, to convey. And that helps me sort of put into two dimensions and on paper, compositionally, a painting that can take the feeling I'm having. And it's so difficult, of course, but over and over and over I try it. So so I'm starting a painting next week that is from a photo that I took over 15 years ago that has been, I'd look at probably on a weekly basis and it's never quite clicked. It's never quite given me that message, but I knew there was something there. And I couldn't quite pin what it was and I think I finally felt that this week uh, how to convey that in words or not words I'm sorry but in visual terms
0: now what medium feels the most natural to you
1: oil feels the most natural to me by far I've tried all mediums I started off gouache I was an airbrush painter acrylic I was trained specifically as an acrylic painter my mentors were all acrylic painters um, but I think the very first time, I remember specifically when I picked up a palette knife and I mixed up alizarin crimson with um, red and saw what kind of color that made and how it felt in my hands tactily, I knew that I was probably going to dye an oil painter. It has so many different aspects and flexibility that I I could never do with any of the other painting that I've tried. Um, it has a lot longer work time on it. It doesn't dry right away, so I can go back the next day and, and work into things, or I can make them dry sooner. I can do anything I want. I feel like the most control in my medium with oil.
0: And what size of painting feels the most natural to you?
1: Um, I started off working very small, like 8 by 12 inches. And over the years, I've evolved at trying every size that I can possibly put into a van. Uh, that's my limit. is about well four foot by eight foot's the biggest painting I've ever worked on, and that's about as big as you can put in a minivan. But I'd say the most comfortable I am right now is is roughly around 20 by 24 inches. Um, that's where my hand feels most like at home. Uh, my arm, I would say, because that's where you're really working with your arm, and your eyes, and getting back in the room you're at. Um, I never work in a square. Uh, for me, that's uh, static. Not that I haven't seen square compositions with other artists that are just amazing and they do have a great job. I myself can't think that way. So I'm always thinking in terms of, of rectangles.
0: So Gabe, you have a limited amount of time in which to paint. You work full time and you have representation in, in many galleries, not only here in Portland, Seattle, but also in uh, California. How do you manage your time? How do you keep it all together?
1: Cynthia, I have absolutely no clue. Somehow it comes together. It just... I don't know. It, it's weird. I have this question posed to me by almost every person that I know that knows I'm a painter. Is, How do you have time to do it? And I honestly don't have a good answer for it, except it ha- somehow happens. Uh, when I break down my schedule, I have no set routine. I will go sometimes... I'll go weeks without painting or doing any creative stuff just because life gets in the you know, way of doing anything. But somehow it all falls together in the end. I'd say I probably binge create where I, you know, I will never force myself and I think that's why I don't have a routine is if I had a routine I'd probably be forcing it more often than not. Somehow I just make it happen when I feel it I I strike while the iron's hot and it gets done. Do you have a career goal for yourself as an artist? Yeah, that's a really weird question. (laughs) It is now. When I was younger it was easy. I had a lot of lofty goals, and what's oddly enough, maybe they weren't that lofty after all, because now that you ask that question, I look back on it, I've achieved every single one of the goals that I've wanted to achieve as an artist. I guess maybe someday I'd love to be, maybe not now, I don't think I'm even remotely at that point, but I would love to have someday have, be in a museum collection. Uh, my dream would maybe to be part of a Portland Art Museum collection at some point in my life, but as of right now, I still have a lot of work to do and I'm just enjoying painting the best paintings I can each time I go out there and I paint.
0: So Gabe, now we've come to the part of the interview where I have 10 rapid fire questions. Are you ready?
1: I hope so.
0: What's your favorite color?
1: How would you even ask a question like that? That's like asking me to choose between my favorite child or something. Colors, my my relationship with color is so complex, but. We, we could do a whole show on that, I'm sure. Uh, but if you're gonna make me choose, I think I will go with indigo. And that's because, uh, you know, I have a, uh, that is one of my favorite colors. I've used it a lot and I just thank goodness that my other child isn't named after a color. What's your favorite paint brand? My favorite paint brand, I use a lot of different kinds of paint, but um, I want to go with Gamblin because that's where I learned and uh, I still use it today.
0: What's your favorite museum or art gallery?
1: I'd say my favorite museum is the L.A. County Museum of Art, LACMA. Uh, I've always enjoyed every visit I've ever had there. It's incredibly enormous, and there's always something new to see. And I absolutely love going to Los Angeles.
0: Who is your favorite architect?
1: My favorite architect would have to be Don Wexler, the um, Palm Springs mid-century modern um, designer that is so iconic with what Palm Springs is known for. And also I think he had a knack for creating buildings that were very humanesque.
0: And do you have a favorite city in terms of natural light or light?
1: Uh, I think Palm Springs pragmatically is a great place to paint because of the direct light and the fact that it's usually sunny and uh, there's a lot less vegetation that get in the way. Um, I do love Portland so much, but there's so many trees, it's hard to see what's going on. And Palm Springs is pragmatic that way. But um, I have to say, lately in the last few years, I've been very fascinated with different uh, alternative ways of living. And I've been visiting some of the communities around the Salton Sea. And uh, I've been very fascinated with uh, Bombay Beach.
0: If you could meet one dead artist,
1: who would it be? That is such a difficult question, Cynthia. Um, I don't know what I would say to any artist that I would idolize for many reasons, mostly because what would you ask someone like that? I mean, I wouldn't even begin to know. I probably wouldn't be so dumbfounded and uh, starstruck. But I think if I had to meet anyone, if I was to choose a dead artist, I would have to go with Andy Warhol because of his influence he's had on uh, second half of uh, 20th century art.
0: What do you do every day that reminds you you're an artist?
1: I think the thing I like to do every single day is I like to try to connect in some form with another artist to remind me that um, what I'm doing is, uh, is creative, that it's viable, that it's relevant. And uh, you tend to be very isolated as an artist. I love the isolation, Don't got me wrong, that's why I probably do it, um, I enjoy the solitude. But when you're just staring at a... Uh, board or a canvas for five hours straight um, from five inches away, you need a human connection to uh, actually uh, tell you that what you're doing is okay.
0: What do you think one thing an artist should do every day?
1: First of all, they need to get to work. But the most important thing they need to do is be fearless in what they do, and is to be as uh, the least amount of insecurity as possible. Because what we're doing is what we're doing is really just kind of coming out of our heads, and we've got to take it and we got to own it, like it's you know that's what we're here for. We're living. We're thriving. So um, you got to just you just got to do it.
0: And if you could live anywhere else in the world outside of Portland, where would it be?
1: I don't think I can live anywhere else outside of Portland. I've been around the world, and every time I travel far away from Portland, it makes me appreciate Oregon in general. I would live anywhere in Oregon, to be honest, Um, not necessarily just Portland. Um, I love anything about Oregon.
0: So Gabe, you have some upcoming shows. The one is in December 2017, December 4th through the 23rd at the Russo Lee Gallery. The title is Shelters, and you have 11 paintings in the project space. The Russo Lee Gallery is at 805 Northwest 21st Street, Portland, Oregon 97210. The hours are Tuesday 11 to 530 and Saturday 11 to 5. Gabe also has a show in Seattle, Washington at the Linda Hodges Gallery during the month of February 2018. That's February 1st through the 28th. The address is 318 First Avenue South, Seattle, Washington 98104. And the hours are Tuesday through Saturday 11 to 5. Thank you so much, Gabe. I've really enjoyed interviewing you.
1: Cynthia, thank you for having me. This has been a really interesting conversation.
0: This is Art Chat Northwest, and I'm Cynthia Mosser. Thanks for listening.